Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. Church, you may have a seat, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into Revelation 5 this morning. Revelation 5, and so... One, if you don't know where that is, that's all right. Just turn to the back of the book. It's helpful. Two, there's no S on Revelation. Everybody good there? That's just, that's free. Revelation. Man, amen. Thank you, worship team. I don't know about you, but it just gets a whole different atmosphere, environment that God does through singing praise and worship. I know in me. It's a preparedness, and that's why I think we value music ministry so much because God does something when we sing his praises that he doesn't necessarily do in other ways. It, it, it's a specific movement that he does singing truths about who the Lord is and back to him. So I love just the time to get to spend together just singing, even for people like me, which I'm, listen, I'm okay with not being able to sing well. Okay, again, that's why I'm in the front row. I don't want to pollute your guys' eardrums. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about, just so you know. That's just Revelation 5. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Lion of Judah. Lion of Judah. And what we're doing, we're going through a series in, during Christmas season. This is Jesus. And we're looking at different names and titles that Jesus was given in hopes of bringing a deeper level of celebration, recognizing who Jesus is and why he came in the first place to do what only he could do during this Christmas season. When we get so busy... Buying gifts and the stressful uh, moments of what to give and what not to give and do I give and when to give and all these different things. Christmas party after Christmas party and good things and good things. And all of a sudden you're stressed out and you wish the season would be over. Man, I would hate to, to miss the meaning of why we even have this season in the first place. The depth of the goodness that really should cause us to worship. So we'll get to Revelation 5 in a minute. I'm just going to caution you. It's going to be a minute. All right, we got some work to do before we get there. Let me ask you this. Just consider, what causes you to have fear, worry, anxiety? And it's not, you don't have to raise your hand to answer the question. Just think about that, right? What causes these things in us? And I think sometimes we, we get to those points and we're stressed out, we're worried, we're anxious, but we don't take time to really get to the root of the problem of what's really causing it. We know what the problem is, but what stirs it inside of us? Well, I got three recommendations, possibilities, and I think they're true. One, we're afraid of not getting what we want. Two, we're afraid of getting what we don't want. Three, it's the uncertainty of what might happen. I think all these tie together, not knowing the outcome or, or ending of something. And it's the waiting to see while we may get what we don't want or we won't get what we do want. So I think these, th these three tie together, and that can cause and rise up a spirit of anxiety, worry, and fear within us. But I think in these instances, God allows us to not know what's going to happen for a purpose, but there's times that God allows us to know something for a purpose as well. Sometimes God allows us to know something by his grace and not allow us to know other things by his mercy. Let me explain. So this week, uh, we've been going through some things as a family, and we have a two-week-old, 
And this earlier this week, uh, we found out he had RSV. And so if you know, that's pretty severe in infants. And so he had a checkup. They were concerned about his O2 levels, his oxygen. And so they sent Rachel and him to the ER. They checked in the ER, and his oxygen at one point was at 93%, which I'm not a doctor, but that ain't good, right? And so they kept them there overnight to monitor his oxygen levels, so him and Rachel. And the next day, they came home, afternoon, and, and so they came home, they let him go, or they were watching for pneumonia, these different things, and so they come back the next day, let him go home from the hospital, convinced that he's on Im- improving, which was good news. And just through this, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? What could happen to our new child? And that could stir some anxieties, fears, and stresses, as you can imagine. The following day after they got back from the hospital, we have our, our checkup to make sure he's still doing well. And so Rachel texts me after she got to the hospital, and I just thought it was really good because it really ties into what we're talking about this morning. She texts me, and I, the, the song, Mary, Did You Know, came on the radio, and she said she was just reflecting on the truth of what Mary did know and potentially didn't know. And Mary knew some things, right? I mean, some things were just told to her. She knows maybe a little bit of scripture that was evident in some of her comments she made. But I'm convinced she didn't know other things like, specifically, the future crucifixion of Christ that was coming. She knew something. She knew that he was going to be the Savior of the world. But I think in many ways... She probably thought, like the rest of his disciples did, of this conqueror freedom bringing Christ in a way they wanted it to be. But as she's reflecting on this, she, she saw God's mercy and maybe allowing Mary not to know how things would end for her son. Out of compassion, knowing how much Mary would love this son of hers and out of his love for her, convinced that he didn't allow her to see the full picture of things. I mean, just imagine the weight of knowing that one day the shadow of the cross was looming. Wondering when. As you're raising your child, just wondering, one day this child, it will be crucified, killed, murdered like a thief. I believe that was hidden from Mary for a reason. It comes from his compassion and love for her. And this, so this is what Rachel's texting me. It's a lot more concise than I'm giving it to you. But then afterwards, you know, she, is, she says this. She says, it seems like God's compassion for Mary, not letting her see the full picture, knowing how much Mary would love her son. But then she says this. And this is my, my favorite part of the whole thing. She says, does this make sense? Or am I just being a hormonal postpartum mama? I said, maybe. No. But it's so good because it goes into Mary didn't know everything that would happen. But Mary's a great example of someone who didn't have all the answers and went through a lot of uncertainty, but followed Jesus anyway. Trusted the Lord anyway. And similar to Mary, we see that in the disciples. Disciples didn't have all the answers a lot, and they misunderstood a lot of things. They didn't know a lot what Jesus was saying, even when he walked with them. But they followed Jesus anyway. That's what I want us to see this morning. Following Jesus anyway, even through the uncertainty. So let me just ask this question, kind of a faith check moment of where we're at. Do we really believe God's word and trust his ways? Just meditate on it. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe God's word and trust his ways even when things don't make sense? So I think it's easy to 
when things are awesome, sure. But when things don't make sense and when things are difficult, when hardships happen, do we still really believe God's word and trust his ways? You see, Jesus, many times, was preparing his disciples for what would happen to him. The whole purpose he came, in Luke 18, verse 31, he took his 12 disciples, and as they were going to Jerusalem, he says, everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man, so he's speaking about himself, will be accomplished. In case he had questions, he clarified. He says, for he, talking about himself, will be handed over. I want you to remember this because there's going to be a quiz here in a second. Handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, and spit on. And after they flog him, that's three different things so far, they will kill him. And he will rise on the third day. So he's been, this is not the first time he said this. He said this numerous times to his disciples to prepare them. So exactly what's going to happen. This is what the prophet said. This is what's going to happen to me. And I love Luke 18, verse 35. It says, they understood none of these things. I don't know about you, that gives me a lot of confidence. If the disciples had some questions and some doubts, I think we might also. But what do you do with them, right? The disciples didn't walk away. They followed him anyway. On a separate account, in Matthew 16, Jesus says similar things. But Peter stands up, because I think this is what we do. I think we, we could probably relate better to Peter than I think we'd like to admit. Because Jesus says, I'll, I'll be killed, I'll be, I'll be crucified, I'll, I'll be, rise again, right? Peter stands up and he says, no, Lord, this will not happen to you. Do you remember this? And Jesus' response is more noteworthy, I think, than Peter's reaction. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, because you're not concerned about God's will. What was Peter doing? He was concerned about him and his feelings and his emotions. He loved Jesus. He loved everything to follow Jesus. What are you talking about? They're not going to kill you. I will never let that happen. And to prove it, when Jesus was being betrayed and arrested, what did Peter do? Well, he drew out that sword and cut that dude's ear off. Remember that? Well, I think it's hilarious because he was not aiming for the ear. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't trying just to maim him. He was trying to kill that guy. So he even jacked that up. But I think that's just it. Like when we get wrapped up in our own plans, our own emotions, our own feelings, and we react without even considering God's plans, purpose, and will for our lives or the circumstance, we can really mess things up. Even when we don't understand it. As the final hours of Jesus' life played out in front of his disciples, you would think there would be mental checkboxes being marked off about what the prophet said and what Jesus told them directly about himself. Because then Jesus would be handed over, which they saw. Do you think that'd be checked? Yeah, I remember him saying that. He would be mocked and insulted. They saw it. He would be flogged. So you think these checkboxes, as they experience these things, then he would be killed. The events were being fulfilled just as Jesus had said and as the scriptures had shown. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says this. 
And this is one of the messianic prophecies about the Christ. It says, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pain. But we turned, regarded him, stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. But we all, like sheep, have went astray. We have all turned from our, our, we have turned to our way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep shut silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Ties back to what we talked about a little bit last week, the Lamb of God. And so you would think these dots would be connected. Scripture would be coming to life. His words would be coming reality. And then he was taken down from the cross. And if you remember, he was buried in a tomb that wasn't his, a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned, means he didn't have it, assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death. So you see, these marks would have been check, check, check. You would think there would have been a well of boldness and assurance rising inside them as they see, yes, I remember, yes, 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 as they saw God's word literally unfolding before their eyes. But there was one thing that was still to come, right? Handed over, mocked, insulted, flogged, killed. What was the fifth thing? Do you remember? Resurrection. That's what he said. I'd rise on the third day. So you would think that on that morning, that third morning, the Sabbath has passed, the third morning, they would gone out to the tomb. As the sun came up, you would think they would all been standing there, right? Three, two, one, move that rock, right? It's not quite what happened. Disciples on that day, it says in John 20, were actually behind locked doors, fearing the Jews. They didn't want what happened to Jesus to happen to them, so they were fearful. Yet the women, what'd they do? They went on that morning brought spices. I don't know about you, my experience has been, my wife thinks through a lot of logistics better than I do. A lot of the details better than I do. And these women were concerned about more of the details. They were going to go and still worship the Lord, mourn, brought spices. And then what they experienced was the unexpected. Though they should have expected it. The resurrected Jesus. He was not there. He had risen. And what they do, they ran back to tell the disciples, Jesus is not there. He's been resurrected. And the disciples were like, we knew it. No, they didn't say that. That's funny. I'm glad you know your Bible. No, they didn't say that. In Luke 24, it actually says, when they heard this, they thought it was nonsense. It says, they did not believe the women. So keep your track in here. They did not believe the women. They did not believe Jesus. They did not believe the prophets. They did not believe God is what happened. So how could they not believe with all they've known and seen? I think this is where we have a lot more in common than we might think. I know from what well, I know from the disciples and 
I know from personal experience, that our feelings can blind us. We can become so blinded by our feelings that we don't see the facts. We can be so blinded by our emotions that we lose track of what is actually true, and we start believing subtle lies. But what's interesting is Jesus met the disciples while they were in their fearful forgetfulness. That same verse in John 20, when they were locked behind closed doors out of fear of the Jews, Jesus steps in, the resurrected Lord, and says, peace be with you. Why? Because they didn't have peace. There was some uncertainty, fearful times. Everything's been stirred up. They didn't expect that coming, even though they were told. But God brings peace in the uncertainty. And Jesus brought peace that surpassed understanding. I think that's what we have to remember. I don't know what you're going through, but we go through some things. Some of you are going through some things right now that you don't know how it's going to end. Some of you are going through some things right now that you do know how it's going to end, and it ain't good. Do you trust the Lord anyway? It's interesting. Do you think there was a moment that the disciples had after the resurrected Lord, looking back, they thought, wow, we were kind of foolish. Do you think there was a moment when they looked back and they said, wow, worrying was such a waste of time. Why did I worry? Why did I fear? Any sports fans? I like sports. Yeah, we got a couple. Any football fans? More specifically, there you go. That's, that's so much better. Christians, I can tell. Football fans. You can always tell a football fan because you know you're, if your team wins or loses, it's we won. We lost. Listen, you ain't on the team, right? I, I took some time for me to figure that out. But I used to really be ate up, especially football. I'm a, I'm a what would be called a diehard 49er fan. Right? Born and raised in Southern California in the 80s, the 49ers were decent. Not so much anymore, but they were then. 2002, they were having a decent year. Okay, this is going somewhere, trust me. Hang along for the ride. The wild card game, they were, play, they were facing the Giants. And they were down big going in to the fourth quarter. At the end of close to the third quarter, it was already 38-14, to 14, the Giants. Looking pretty hopeless. At one point, I love it because I didn't love it then. It was hopeless. This game was over. I was pretty frustrated. My total mood and feeling swung on if the Niners won or lost. So anyway, that's one other issue. Michael Strahan played for the Giants. And at one point, at the close of the third quarter, he points to the scoreboard. Just to let them know, listen, you guys have no shot. This game is over. I know you think there's a quarter left. You might as well go home now. Well, the 49ers end up storming back. And actually take the lead with about a minute left in the fourth quarter, 39-38. Man, this is getting pretty exciting, right? I'm on the edge of my seat, yelling at the TV, and then the Giants get this kickoff return, go back down, and now they're setting up for a field goal with seconds left. And it's a 41-yard field goal. So those that don't really know, it's a makeable field goal. And so I'm like, man, I can't believe this. We came all the way back, and we're going to lose. And they snap it. The guy messes up the hold. Turns around, there's some drama that unfolds. He tries to pass it, he doesn't make it, the 49ers win, right? And I'm just going crazy. Like, I play for the team. It's crazy. The difference is, 
So me in 20 or 2002, I was on the edge of my seat screaming like my life hinged on if the 49ers won. Versus me in 2022, when I got to watch relive these highlights, sermon prep. That's what you guys pay me to do. I was filled with joy watching it. Right? Even though we're down 38-14, I was filled with so much joy. Even while I was watching Strahan point to the scoreboard as we were getting just crushed, filled with joy. What's the difference? What's the difference in 20 years ago to now? I know how it ends. I know how it ends. So, Christian, despite what life throws at you, you know how this thing ends. Despite when the giants surround you, despite when the Satan whispers in your ear, look around you, you lose. Michael Strahan. You'll never look at him again in the same way. We have to remember the war is won, but the fight isn't finished. The war has been won, but we're still in the fight. And I think that's where we get stuck, because we're stuck in the in-between, the already and the not yet. And that's what brings us to Revelation. So for those who are keeping track of time, you can go and start your sermon stopwatch. Now, that was all the intro. That didn't count. Revelation is a, a letter written to the seven churches by John, this revelation that was given to John by God, so he writes it down. And this was meant to be an encouragement to the first century church and the 21st century church because it shows the current and coming realities of the spiritual realm. Which brings us to Revelation 5. Look at verse 2 through 4 with me. Again, John is seeing just everything that's going on. He's trying to take it in. He says, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or even look in it. I wept, and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. So the question is, who is worthy to both, this is the question that's going on here, who is worthy to both bring wrath and rescuing, and ultimately bringing final and fulfillment, new creation, and no one was found. And so injustice is running rapid. Christians are being slaughtered. And John cries, will someone do something? He says he's wept. And the answer was, no one could be found. No one. The Bible says, no one is righteous. No one does good. The point is, not you, not me, not Muhammad, Buddha, Gandhi. No one is good enough. Jesus. This is Jesus. What we see in verse 6 is what John saw. It says, And I saw one who looked like a slaughtered lamb. That's what he saw. But what prompted him to draw his attention that way is, I think, just as remarkable. Because he saw this, but what what did he hear to draw his attention to Jesus? Look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. This is Jesus from the lamb to the lion. We saw him in the the lamb had come. Looked like weakness was actually meekness, power under control. 
is now the lion with fierceness and greatness. And Genesis 49.9 is one of the messianic passages about the line of Judah. But note, it wasn't Jesus' fierceness or the force of his power that made him worthy. The lion had conquered and was triumphant because he was first the lamb. We talked about last week, right? The lamb of God. In John 16.33, Jesus says, I have conquered the world. It means victory has been achieved through him. Hebrews 2.14 tells us, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So the question for us, what, if our, what would it actually look like if we lived like Jesus actually has the victory? What would your Monday look like if you lived in a way that you knew the War has won. We're still in the fight, but Jesus has the victory. I think we look a lot more like the disciples. I mean, real quick, we know in those three days of darkness from Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples were fearful. But the point is, they didn't stay there. They didn't stay in their fearfulness. So what changed? Jesus' resurrection. That's what changed. That's what changed everything. The disciples went from being fearful to fearless after experiencing the resurrected Jesus. That's key, after experiencing the resurrected Jesus. Because I think there's a lot of people sitting in churches that haven't experienced the resurrected Jesus. They've been educated a lot about Jesus, but haven't experienced Jesus. And so we call ourselves Christians a lot of times, and maybe not so many are. And they're getting their teeth kicked in and just caving because of the way of the world, maybe some false expectations of what Jesus would provide versus the reality of who Jesus is and what he's already done. The difference maker, the resurrected Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is, Christian, you have both. You have an experience of resurrected Jesus by faith in him and trust in him alone. And God fills you with the Holy Spirit at the moment you believe, making you a new creation. The Bible calls it born again in John 3. It's interesting that in Acts 1, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, that the disciple says, is now you're going to establish the kingdom. He said, not yet. He says, go and be my witnesses. Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But first he says, but wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And then the day of Pentecost come, and the Holy Spirit poured out, and many come to Christ. And now all who believe have that same Spirit dwelling inside of them. And this is a game changer. If you've experienced the resurrected Jesus and are filled with the power of His Holy Spirit, which the Bible clearly says, then man, we live in a way that's different. The Bible says we don't mourn like those without hope. And what you see in the disciples is that from that point on, they had certainty even in the uncertain. Acts 8 is one of my favorite passages because I think it's the hardest but most encouraging at the same time. In Acts 8, you see that severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. It says Saul was ravaging the church, going from house to house, looking to arrest Christians specifically. In Acts 4, what do the Christians do? They're all in Jerusalem. 
They scatter. They flee. Accomplishing what Jesus said in Acts 1-8 in the first place. But what they did when they scattered matters. They didn't go and hide and huddle and do nothing and keep running. It says they went, and as they went, they were preaching the word. They were sharing the gospel. So through Jesus and the power of his spirit, they were persecuted, but as they went, they went with boldness because they were certain of who he is, even though the situation was uncertain. And what was the result? In Acts 17, tells us that this movement had turned the world upside down. Thousands were being saved, were coming to Christ, were coming to faith through the boldness and from these men and women proclaiming the gospel. So let me ask you a hard question. Because you can apply this to a lot of different situations, but I'm going to apply it here specifically. Would you say that the persecution and suffering that the early church experienced was worth it? Just meditate on that for a second. Was what they went through worth it? Also think about this. Was there a moment, do you think, where these men and women, the early followers of Christ, would have said, God, where are you? Would have said something like, why is this happening to us? I think so. But here's a question I want us to consider. Looking back now, that early church, those first followers, looking back, would they now... What would they say now? What would the early church say now, looking back, all they went through? They would say two things. Worth it. He is worthy. So I wonder, going through it, if you realize if God's sovereign over everything all the time, there's not a moment wasted in God's sovereignty, can we go through it, not enjoying it, but saying, I know it's going to be worth it. I know it hurts, and it's painful, and it stinks, I don't like it, but God's still holy, he's worthy, and he's still good. Where would we be today if the disciples were still stuck in their fear? If they let their fears freeze them to do nothing inside locked doors? It's hard to say but we know that we're here because of their obedience by the leading of Christ Jesus himself. So going back to our first question, what drives our worries, anxieties, and fears? Maybe we're relying too much on our own understanding and too much on our own strength. Just think about it. A lot of our anxieties, fears, and stresses come because we don't have as much control as we'd like. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just a therapy session. You guys can just listen. <laughs> the Bible speaks directly into these two things specifically. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. What's the first thing we do? We lean on our own understanding. Right? And when the uncertain happens, we start doing things. And we don't even pause to pray and pursue the Lord in direction. We start doing things. We start chopping off ears, Right? Do it on our own strength. And the Bible says don't do things on your own strength either. Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Do not lean on your understanding, but lean on God's strength. I just wonder if maybe we've forgotten 
who Jesus is. So I love this series. This is Jesus. So I think we've forgotten at some levels, practically, in our daily grind of things, we've forgotten who Jesus is and, or, we've forgotten who we are in Christ Jesus. And both are detrimental to your faith journey. Romans 8 speaks directly to this. See, Paul in Paul fashion, he asks a question to make a teaching moment to which he'll then answer. Romans 8.35, he asks this question, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You can keep on going with the list if you want to. But then in Romans 8.37, he answers it. He says, nothing. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He conquered, and through Him, we are more than conquerors. So I wonder if we start living like the conquerors that we have in Christ Jesus. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He tries to go down his list that nothing, never, no how will separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus conquered. We are more than conquerors and secured and assured in him, despite what happens around us. Not RSV, not COVID, not RIP, Right now, there's all the things that we can be stressed out about. Right now, we got this thing going on where there's RSV, flu, and COVID. They call it the, well, the, the, the triple-demic. Have you heard this? The triple-demic. Well, I think it's important that we know. Not even the triple-demic is problematic for God. Do we know that? Like, it doesn't surprise him. So, yeah, be wise, but be bold. Be confident. Be assured because we have the victory. The once persecutor Saul, now the apostle Paul, and understand God's power and purpose and plan for himself and in all creation, writes Philippians 1.21. He says, for me, which implies for y'all too, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So while God has you here, we're living the plan and purpose that he has for our lives, for his glory and for the sake of others. But if he takes you from this place, then that is only gain. We said it before because I've heard it a long time ago. For the Christian, this place is the closest to hell that you'll ever experience. But for the non-Christian, this place that we know as earth, the West End of Henrico, is the closest to heaven that you will ever experience. This is the reality. And so, yeah, as Christians, we can be so timid. There's so many unreached people groups. Let's go here for a second. Throughout the world, because all, all the reached we're in easy places. The unreached are in hard places and they're dangerous. And so the church isn't going there because it's dangerous and we could lose our life. Is he worth it? The answer is yes. He's worth it. All of our lives are worth it. As we go into our workplace tomorrow, he's worth it. And whatever you're going through, we endure because he's worth it. And I think this is one of the main reasons you need the church and the church needs you. The reminder to endure, because things aren't easy. 
And if you were listening, you would say amen right there. Things are not easy. But Hebrews 10 speaks right into this. It says, let us hold on. Meaning, it might be hard to hold on. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Since he who promised is faithful. And let us then consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is when Jesus is returning, not like the Lamb of God, but returning like the Lion of Judah. Revelation 19 tells us that he has his name written on him, his robe, and on his thigh, all tatted up if he wants to go that route. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's how he's returning. To fully and finally make all things new. And this is a picture. We know how this thing ends, but those that you don't, I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 21 says this. In this vision, John sees how it ends. Verse 8. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write this because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexual immoral, immoral social, sorcerers, idolaters, and the liars, their share, their share will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Here's the point. And we see this clarified in our portions of Scripture that we've all fallen in that second category. But the difference is Christ. Through Christ, we're more than conquerors. Without Christ, we are condemned. And this is the spiritual reality that we live in. But we have to see this is Jesus. He didn't come in John 3, as he says, to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him so that no one perish through faith alone. And my question is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did and showed that he did for you? The Bible clearly says that all who would believe will have everlasting life and will not perish. God's done it so that you can have life that no one's righteous. And this is the, the crux of the gospel, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God stepped in to do what we couldn't do, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, so that we can live forever in eternity with him, pay the consequences, the payment for our sin. We said it is finished means paid in full, took our sin for whoever would believe in him alone and nailed him to the cross, and by his blood we are all forgiven. And I'm like, question is, do you believe that? And if not, I'm going to invite you here in a minute to respond by faith. As the Lord leads, to respond by faith. And it's simple. It's not a magic prayer that you say, but it's a heart posture that you come to the Lord with, that you see that I'm a sinner, 
I've chosen my own ways and ask forgiveness. And say, I don't know how. I don't know all the doctrines of salvation, right? But I know that somehow, someway, your blood on the cross counted for me and that through faith alone in Christ alone, by your grace alone, I have eternal life and I am made new by you. I'm going to invite you here in a minute to, to pray that if you believe that. And if you don't, I'm going to ask you what's holding you back. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit just to convict you and draw you to himself because he is so good. And right now, you are standing under the severity of God's justice. And you can't pay it. And we know how this thing ends. All who reject him will be in eternal torment. And that's not his desire. His desire for all to come to him by faith and be saved. For the Christian here, we got to remember, do we believe this? That Jesus did conquer. He's, the war is won, and we're still in the fight. If we do, let us pray in these moments here coming up in a minute that God gives us the strength to live with the intentionality, the boldness, the confidence that found in Christ Jesus our Lord, despite what we're going to go through. Who knows what tomorrow brings? My goodness. But Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow we'll have enough worry about it for itself. So instead of worrying over things that we can't control, let's continue to go to Christ and let's see the worries, the stresses, and fears as reminders when our faith starts shifting from Christ to ourselves. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to sing one last worship song because and he's worthy. So we worship him. But as the band comes up, we're going to pray. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer, but I'm going to ask you to pray and respond to what the Lord's doing in your life. Maybe there's some things that he's working on you. Maybe he's showing you some things that your faith has shifted to your circumstances, away from your Savior. Ask him to build your faith. Maybe you need wisdom in some things that are going on because they're uncertain. God says he'll give wisdom if you ask for it. Maybe you just need more confidence and boldness because of who he is. Maybe you need to be reminded of the gospel. May you spend this time in prayer just reflecting and responding to who God is and what he's done for us. And then after we pray, we're going to sing another worship song. But I encourage you to keep worshiping. Maybe it's singing and standing. Maybe it's sitting and praying. Maybe it's praying with someone around you. We'll have a prayer team on the side. Come and pray with us. Let us pray for you. Walk alongside with you because you're not in this faith journey alone, nor were you meant to be. But let's respond together to what God's doing right now in this moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We know it's not by accident or coincidence. Father, we thank you for your word and the promises that you give us, that you are faithful, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And there's nothing that we can do for those who are in Christ Jesus, nothing that will happen to us that will ever separate us from your amazing love for us as sons and daughters of yours. Lord, I just ask that you bring by the power of your Holy Spirit a boldness in our lives to where we can approach every circumstance, not knowing the outcome, but knowing that you are still in control and are working for the good for all those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us to trust you more and trust less in ourselves. Help us regain perspective when we go through the storms, when we face the giants, 
knowing that the war is won through Christ Jesus, but we're still in the fight, but we're empowered to do so. We rely on your strength and lean on your ways. Father, lead us in the rest of this day. Lead us in our worship. Lead us as we start a new week. Lead us to be true ambassadors for you, representatives. As we go, people see, surely there's something different about this person. Because we don't mourn like those without hope. And we rejoice regardless of circumstances because of Christ. We thank you, Father. And we pray all this in the name that's above every name, the only name that which man can be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, a reminder that his wounds have paid our ransom. As we look to the cross, the affliction that 
he bore was for us. And Lord, let this continue to lead us and propel us with a heart of worship that doesn't stop after we leave this place. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.